Hello, and welcome to the Up Next podcast, where we highlight the people and ideas that represent the best of Christian leadership today. It is during challenging times that we realize how important leadership is. That is why Resource Global is dedicated to training and mentoring the next generation of Christian leaders in major global cities around the world, so they can be prepared to tackle the challenges that are to come. These young professionals will become the future business and civic leaders church elders, entrepreneurs, and change makers in the communities. And we are so encouraged when we hear their dreams and plans for the future for their hometowns of LA, Austin, Chicago, Jakarta, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Nairobi, and beyond. We connect these young leaders to one another also, so they form a truly global team of growing marketplace leaders advancing the gospel. As part of the year-long cohort training, we bring some of the best thinkers and mentors to come alongside these leaders. And as a result, we are thrilled to share the wisdom of these teachers with you on this show, highlighting the real stories of what it looks like to lead with your faith. Our host is Tommy Lee, president of Resource Global, who will be joined by a myriad of guest hosts and co-hosts during this time. For more information on Resource Global and to listen to past episodes of Up Next, please go to www.researchglobal.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Today, I get a chance to talk with a new friend, somebody who I met in Prague, and I came away so impressed because I kept hearing his name, Dave Patty, president and founder, Josiah Adventure. How are you, my friend? I'm, I'm doing great. It's great to join you from the Czech Republic. Yeah. A long ways away from where you are. Dave, is that home for you, Czech Republic? That's right. I've, I've lived here for the last 28 years, raised my kids here, and served in Central and Eastern Europe that entire time. Yeah. When you would, how would you describe a Czech Republic? Uh, I'd love to hear your thought. I mean, I live in Chicago. You grew up in Wheaton. I attended school there. Tell me a little bit about the Czech Republic. Well, well first of all, it's not Czechoslovakia anymore. A lot of people say <laughs> Czechoslovakia. That's actually two countries now. And also worldwide, they're trying to say Czechia, but those of us who live here still say uh, Czech Republic. But it's right in the center of Europe. It's a, a very beautiful area. Uh, they say it's a, it's a country of poets and musicians, but it also has a, a fabulous spiritual heritage of people like Jan Hus, uh, John Haas, and uh, Komensky, Komenius, he's known outside the country. So great spiritual heritage, but right now it is in the top one or two most atheist countries on earth. Really? So we have a really unique um, privilege of working in a place with, with spiritual heritage that goes way back, but very few believers right now. So we're, we're uh, retaking the country with the gospel, which is an exciting thing to be part of. Yeah, yeah. And you're the president and founder of Josiah Venture. Talk to me a little bit about uh, why you started, what Josiah Venture does, and then more so, how you even got to doing what you're doing, graduate from Wheaton College. And where was home for you here, Dave? Yeah, well, home, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I was born actually, although in the Philippines, I'm a second generation missionary, but grew up in Denver, Colorado. And I was serving in Germany on military bases, doing youth ministry on military bases, which is pretty crazy, during the Cold War. And when the walls came down in 1989, we started taking groups of young people across the border to do evangelism. And I realized a couple of things. One was we were in the middle of an historic, amazing shift in this area of the world when so many countries broke free from the grips of totalitarianism. And also that there hadn't been much experience with youth ministry. 
so as we were evangelizing young people and trying to get them plugged into youth groups and local churches, there just really wasn't very many. So my wife and I experienced God's call in 1993 to leave the ministry we were a part of and move our family to a corner of the Czech Republic and begin Josiah Venture. So that's kind of the short the short picture of, of what happened. But Josiah Venture began 28 years ago with just two couples, um, very, very small in the beginning. And we our question was, how can we help local churches be full of young people? How can we yeah. equip the local church to reach this next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Very, very good. And to this day, is it mostly working with junior high, high school? Is that the group that you primarily are working with? Well, young people, it's kind of that's kind of interesting. Wherever you're at in the world, young people has a different, different definition. Yeah. So where we are, young people is really from the point where you reach puberty until you get married. So we, it would be it would be junior high, high school, college, and even young uh, young professionals. Very so good. Uh-huh. Thirteen to thirty is kind of our target window. Though we do most of our evangelism in the teenage years and a lot of our leadership training in the early 20s, um, that that realm. But it's kind of 13 till you get married and start having a family and then then you're in a different zone. Ah, okay. So, Dave, a quick couple of things is so when you first started, was it mostly high school students that you started working with? And as they got older, you just stay with their relationship and just spend time with them? Well, again, that's something that's culturally interesting. Youth groups here are high school and college students put together. So really? they, okay. they don't have the, the luxury of dividing it up that tightly. Actually, more often the junior high kids are pulled out, but high yeah. school and college are all are all together. It's it's just in one youth group. And then the older students end up doing more of the leadership. That's yeah. another thing is that in most of these countries, youth ministries are almost exclusively led by volunteers. And they tend to be the young person, 22, 24, 26, with a, a team of people around him who's leading the youth ministry for both yeah. his peers and people who are younger. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Because the paradigm that I came in, I spent about 18 years in youth and college ministry. So I had the same group of student leaders. I started working with them sophomore year in high school, all the way to when they graduate. Then I got moved over to the college ministry for about eight years. I led that group. And so I spent, and after that, then they graduated and then they started working with the youth group. But it was two separate different ministries that we worked with. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear about that background in youth ministry. So the, the strategic reason why we got involved in this is so we're in an area of the world with very few Christians. Yeah. But if you if you if you look at where people trust Christ, 90% of those who Correct. Christ do before they're 21. And now there's other studies that will say 85% by the time they're 24. So there's different studies right in there. But in any case, it's uh, it's at least 80, maybe 90% that will trust Christ in the in those years. And it's much harder to reach them afterwards. So we feel like that that's the, the best way to reach these countries is reaching young people. And then the second thing is that's where most people experience their call to ministry. So if you have a church that needs leaders, needs new pastors, needs new workers, uh, you're going to do your best job of recruiting them while, while they're young. And so we feel like we're, 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 we're trying to transform the church by transforming the next generation. Oh, I totally understand this. Look, Dave, the only reason I was sent to church is I had a high school teacher who was an elder at the Chinese church over in Chinatown who said to my mom that my brother and sister and I needed to learn social skills. And there they brought us to church to the youth group. And our there was this youth pastor who grew that ministry from 16 kids to thousands of kids. But in the I mean, early days, he would come and pick us up every single Friday and drove us home. And for all of us as youth counselors, 
We drove so many kids home and picked them up every single Friday. That was the, and then you created student leadership teams, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing, Tommy, is that, you know, we talk about evangelism, that's the most fruitful place, but also this leadership training. If you look at significant Christian leaders, trace back and, and, and you'll find them really formed in their first ministry. And usually that was youth ministry, just like you. Yes. So what happens is that's where they get their, their ministry DNA and, um, and, and it roots in them quite quickly there. One of the things we're trying to do is we, we also believe that youth ministry is the Trojan horse for getting disciple making DNA into local churches. So how do, how do we teach people to make disciples who make disciples not just run programs that they hope someone will show up to on Sunday morning, but really just like what you experience in youth ministry, investing in people, making disciples, yep. equipping them. And we feel like the best place to do that is uh, is young leaders. So you get them in their first ministry and they say, tell me what to do. And just about anything you tell them to do, they'll, they'll say, OK. And they don't say, no, that won't work. It didn't work yep. before. Um, I don't have time. They'll say, thank you. And they go. That's what young leaders are like. Yep. Dave, I, I'm so, you know, we had lunch in Prague, but we didn't get a chance to dive deeply into this. I love what you're doing because some of the people who have worked with me at Resource Global has been with me for about 28, 30 years since our days in youth ministry. A yeah. lot of what I'm doing with young leaders at Resource Global, I said, I've literally took what I did with college students, working with student leaders, learning how to plan uh, events speakers, everything like that. I did it back in the days of youth ministry and college ministry. Yeah, that's right. And then you just expand that out. And um, exactly. yeah, that's, you'll, you'll find that over and over again. Billy Graham was a youth evangelist before he began to do big rallies. Uh, yeah. just, you just trace back and you'll find so many people got their start in youth ministry. And you, you got your start in youth ministry. That's, that's right. Dave, doesn't it remind you of a lot of times what you look at David, right? Uh, early on before he became king, and even before he became this great soldier, what was he doing? He was tending sheep over and over and over again. He did the same thing. Every single day, he brought the sheep out. He protected them from lions and tigers and bears and all that other stuff. And God used that time of reflection, of monotony, of all of that stuff to prepare him to really be able to now run the kingdom. That's right. Well, I, I remember when I was 22 years old and headed into my first full-time ministry, didn't really know what to do. And kind of by chance, I spent the night with a someone named Dan Spader, who started Sun Life Ministries. And I said, what do you do? He said, I train youth leaders. I said, how do you train them? And he said, well, we, I look at how Jesus made disciples, because did you know that most of Jesus' disciples, when he called them, were probably teenagers? And I went, you're, you're kidding me. I mean, I've seen the, the pictures and the, the statues and all of that. But then he went back and showed me most of them were single. They were still working with their families. Uh, they, they, they probably were quite young when he called them. And he said, what if you saw Jesus as your model for youth ministry and say, how did Jesus run his youth group and equip his group of young leaders and tried to do it the same? And uh, so that, that captured my heart. And I've been teaching youth ministry from the life of Christ ever since. Yep. Ironically, that same youth pastor that brought me and helped create, uh, develop me was also product of Sun Life Ministries. Yeah, see, that's amazing. Yeah, you can see that disciple making, uh, disciple making impact, that multiplication that actually is yeah. very impactful. Yeah. Okay, so Dave, two questions is how do you tangibly work with the church? Because sometimes working with the church can be very difficult. You're sitting there, whoa, whoa, whoa you're a completely separate organization. How do you effectively work within a church 
And then two, what part of Europe? Are you just in Europe at this point right now? Yeah. Well, uh, for, for one thing, we, we are a missionary team and some people every now and then will use the word parachurch and I I uh, forbid them for using that because we don't work alongside the church. We're pro-church. We actually exist to serve the local church. So one of the things we do in youth ministry is is uh, try to help churches be full of young people. I try to try to see youth programs anchored in those local churches. Another thing is, as we look at the life of Christ, we see, though, his ministry grew to impact thousands. It started small. And so you, you actually have to start by creating uh, individual models of what you want to reproduce. So anytime we begin in a country, we actually begin in just a couple of local churches and, and do in a couple of places what we want to see done in, in many places. Sometimes people skip that over and they go, let's go to the top and get all the leaders together and tell them what to do. But you, they haven't done it in that local setting. Yeah, yeah. When my wife and I moved to the Czech Republic, we began learning the language. I started teaching English in a high school as contact ministry, began working with one local church. And the church was about 60 people, uh, five in the youth group. And two years later, there were 60 in the youth group. So this is some of like what you were talking about yeah. that happened in your church. And uh, in the process, we learned some things that work in this culture. So we weren't just saying this is what works from another place. And then with those examples and principles from the life of Jesus, we began training other churches. So that's kind of how in any country we'll start. We'll always start by modeling and then by equipping and training others. And, and that um, that worked quite well. So we began in one church, then started working with five churches, then, then with, with others. And um, in the process, learned, learned a couple of things. We learned some more about training young leaders in this setting. And we also learned a lot about evangelism. And one of the things that I could, so I could tell you some more about that, but in this setting, we, you can tell a church, you have to reach young people for, for, for Christ. And they're just going to say, yeah, we'd love to. We don't know how to do it. Yeah. So helping them evangelize the next generation was really key because then there's leaders to train and a context for training people in disciple making. Yeah, so for instance, no. here, here in the Czech Republic, it started with just a couple, then, then three, then five hundred, three couples on our staff, then five. Uh, today, we're working in 16 countries of Central and Eastern Europe with uh, 350 on our staff. We are, we're, we're regularly investing in about 700 churches across the region and training three to 5,000 leaders. Yeah. So. If you just fast forward from that small start 28 years ago, 1993 to today, um, that's that's some of where God's taken us. Yep. Do you hire the staff or does the church hire their staff? How does that usually work then? Yeah, well, uh, our staff are usually equipping local workers in, in churches. So it. It, we we it, don't pay for the local worker in the church, though um, all of our people also serve in local churches because we have to if we're training someone else. Yeah. But but the model here is that most youth workers have another job or they're students. They're not doing it full time. And so in, in some ways, we're doing the same. We're doing it as part of our overall service package. And then, then maybe our, our job would is, is training and equipping others. Yeah. So all of our staff are serving in local churches, but then they're working with more churches to to help their their youth leaders. So like I said, we'd, we'd be working with about three to five thousand leaders in those local churches, though our staff is is about 350. All right, so Dave, you've been doing this since 1993. And I would like to say that probably every single plan that you implemented went well, right? But in this day and age, you had to change and you had to pivot. What was one, if you look back at it, was there a change that you had to make and pivot or 
be flexible. You said, man, I didn't realize that we were encountered this. Let's make this change. Was, was there something that happened during those years? Yeah, just certainly there is. And we have a lot of plans. It's, that's part of how you learn is you do something and then learn from what doesn't work and work. And then sometimes the things that work are, are surprising. They kind of sneak up on you. In fact, some of them, some of our most effective evangelism methods, I think kind of, they found us. I'm not sure we, we found them. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, you kind of have an expectation of what's going to happen. And then, and then God starts working somewhere else. Oh, there've been, there've been lots of adaptations. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of one of them that would be, yeah, there's, there's some very recently, obviously with COVID we've had to adapt in just crazy ways with going online, going online with conferences, but, uh, but we're also finding just how effective the online platforms can be. Yeah. Now they're best if it, they're coupled with relationships, Correct. but just, just to give you one example, we have one staff member in Serbia, he's 32 years old. He's, um, he's a, a pastor in a local church and working with us on our staff. And he, when the, when the COVID came, he went, okay, we can't meet. I'm going to start doing five minute Bible teachings on YouTube. And he, he said, I think, I think I need to do this every day. So he did it every day for a week and then every day for two weeks. And some days he just put on his camera and say, this is what I learned in my quiet time and then put it up and pretty soon found that that 200 people were following him. Well, he just had, you know, a hundred in his local church. And then 500 people were following him and then a thousand people were following him and then 2000 people were following him. And one of the things that in this country in Serbia, there's only 11,000 evangelical believers. Now there are a number of people from the Orthodox church. So there are people yeah. who know about God, but evangelical believers is the, the amount is, is, is very small, but he's been doing this for two years consistently every day. And he now has 57,000 people following his five minute videos. So yeah. you've got, you've got a youth pastor that's, that's 32 years old. And we, we look back and we look at someone like DL Moody, who was preaching to 5,000 every day in London. Well, uh, Stoich is preaching to, it, like he says, 57, 7,000 people following, but in a typical day, there'll be 5,000 people that will, you know, he's, he's preaching the same amount as Moody did in, in London, which is, is pretty amazing. The opportunity that social media are giving us today. Uh, Dave, one of the things I learned working with students in terms of leadership is I had to be honest with my mistakes. And when I made a mistake, I asked them, guys, I apologize. Here's what I did wrong. Can I ask for forgiveness? When yeah. I did that, that really allowed me to build bridges. But that set the foundation of even now as I work with different leaders, I am very honest and vulnerable about here's where I'm good at. Here's where I'm weak at. Here's where I need your help at. But if I make a mistake, I'm the first one to make sure I apologize. That was a huge lesson because as Asian culture, when you're older, you don't admit your mistakes. You just sit there and they just have to defer to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great example. I think one of the keys to multiplication is empowerment. And yeah. sometimes, sometimes uh, surprising things can be a barrier to empowerment. So for, for instance, when we were in Slovakia, uh, our ministry in Slovakia, they were they were topping out at about seven camps a summer. We do evangelistic camps with local churches where we have about half the young people are non-Christians and they could only do about seven camps for, for summer. And we started digging into it and realized that actually we need to lower the quality level of our camps in, in order to do more because uh, they, they were doing these camps with a full band and video production and amazing uh, uh, amazing content. And actually then, then only the really good people could do it. Only the professionals could yeah. do the program and they weren't empowering other people. So one of the things in youth ministry, it really is a lot about empowering young people yeah. to reach the generation. 
and it's a little messy. Uh, if, if we think about the perfect program we're going to do for young people, yep. we, we, can, we can produce that. But if we think about empowering them, it's, yep. it's a different, more messy process. So they, they backed, backed off, started doing the camps actually with lower production quality not in terms of their commitment to the people, but uh, less energy in the program, more energy in the relationships, putting amateurs up front, music that wasn't quite as polished, and they they tripled their their camps and also yes. the people who were trusting Christ. Yes. So that's kind of a counterintuitive move. Dave, Dave, and you'll understand this. Sometimes in working with student leaders, right, you hear some of the ideas and you know from experience it's not going to work. But yeah. how do you allow them to still try it out, maybe fail along the way, but make adjustments and learn from those mistakes? I had to learn how to do that. Yeah. Well, when I was studying education at Wheaton, uh, one of the things they talked about was what causes people to grow. And they said, there's, um, you need to grow in actually a high level of disequilibration. So that you, have, you have to run into problems and actually wrestle with them. But they said that the best environment is high challenge, high support. So sometimes we have high challenge, but we don't have high support. Sometimes we have high support and low challenge. And that's what I see with Jesus. He's pushing his disciples out and they're they're. He's saying, you feed them. And they, well, with what? We don't have enough money. And he's, you cast out the demons. Well, we failed at this. Uh, but at the same time, you've got this high support. You've got this engagement with, with Jesus that keeps them growing. And yeah. I think often we either push people in the high challenge and leave them or we, uh, we kind of protect them from the impact of that. And I think one of the keys is, is uh, letting, realizing that failure is one of the best teaching tools and, yeah. and the world's not going to end often with it. But how do you then get close and talk about that failure? Say, what do we learn from it? How do we grow? Because those are often the, well, if you see how much of Jesus' teaching was in dialogue form and was in response to something that was going on rather than in lecture form, you know, preparing for everything. So I know you have a connection with Wheaton going to what you just mentioned. I know your kids have a connection with Moody. Were you a Moody student as well too, Dave? Um, I actually attended Multnomah Bible College. It's now Multnomah University, which is yeah. kind of the Moody of the West. And now it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a liberal arts college now, but when I attended it, it was just a Bible, Bible college. So when you were in Manoma and also we, what did you think prior before you started Josiah Venture? What were you hoping that you were going to do? Uh, actually, what's very interesting is I, I received a call to missions when I was 12 years old and uh, to, to missions and youth ministry when I was when I was 18. So I kind of was laser focused. I didn't know how it was all going together, come to, going to come together. I wanted to work with young people overseas pretty much the whole way. So, right. so some of it wasn't clear where or in what way, but I had a very clear call of God on my life. Speaking of that, let me ask you another, and let me put you on the spot here. You mentioned a call to missions. In this day and age, as cities are developing economically, everything, technology has made the world a smaller world. Do people still receive a call to go into missions? And is that different than what you used to receive? Well, I, I, I certainly hope for hope for that. But, you, you know, I think that it, just as you as you watch calls in the Bible, they come in different yeah. ways. But but the, uh, the I think the important thing is that people actually get exposed to the need. So I'll tell you how I received my call. One is I'm a second generation missionary in a family. But th there there are ways that that my parents raised us as kids that made a big difference. So I think sometimes the calls actually come through a family. But my dad, when I was uh, when I was young, he traveled a lot 
taking care of missionaries around the world because he was a mission executive. And it was concerned that he's on the road a lot and that his his mission activity pulled him away from his family. So he did two things. One is he loved gardening and we were in the city and he arranged for all the vacant lots around us for us to garden them. And we ended up having about four acres of gardens in the city on land that we didn't own, but our garden kept the weeds down. So that's how we were able to do it. It's in the city of Denver. And then we sold the vegetables. And with the money that we made as a family, one of us kids got to travel with him every year. So when I was 12 years old, uh, I skipped school for three months, just, just without school for three months, got on a plane with my dad and right after Christmas and traveled the whole way around the world with him. So started in Japan and went on to yeah. Taiwan and Thailand and and watched him in action as he cared for missionaries. And uh, very much it was a life on life kind of missionary internship. And it changed my life. I came back and I went, that's what I want to do the rest of my life. Yeah. So, you know, as you look at that, one of the questions would be, are families still lifting up the high calling of missions for their kids? Yeah. And also, in what ways are we providing formative experiences that 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 uh, actually create that call, that nurture that call in yeah. people's lives, which is what happened for me? And wouldn't you say a lot of times, even, look, we were just in Prague and we hear your stories from some of our guys like Ruben or all of those guys. Right individuals who studied elsewhere now you're calling you're being called to come back home and make a difference for your city that could be a call you're called not to raise money and be a support but you're called to work for an international business live in that community and be that's also a call to missions it looks a little bit different but there still is that call i feel like that's right that's right and actually our we you mentioned 350 staff and you, people might go how in the world do you fund that Part, part of what we do is we equip our staff then to build teams of supporters around them. That's all about that empowerment. So one of our core values is we call it indigenous empowerment. How do we empower people to be effective in their setting? And so we've developed ways of training and equipping people to where, uh, where the, the support and coaching we provide allows them to build teams of partners. And then, then, then it's scalable. Uh, I, I might be able to raise money for 10 or 12 staff maybe, and then I'd start getting tired of that. But uh, with delegated fundraising, with equipping others, and that's j just in general, you, you multiply when you equip, uh, you, you, you multiply when you when you spend your time making it possible for other people to do the work that needs to be done. In 1993, a lot of times you would like to say as a leader, OK, I dreamed of all this. I prepared for all this. When you first started in 1993, did you have a vision? This was where you were going to be. Is that what you, is this what you're building to or did it look different than what it is now? Well, it's interesting because, you know, everyone has a different kind of a call, but um, it was uh, to, to, to back up just a little bit. We first started working in, in, in Eastern Europe right in 1989 and for three years prayed that God would send someone to Central and Eastern Europe. And it was actually at a chapel at Wheaton when Anita Dynakov uh, preached and uh, spoke. And she said, uh, this is a hinge of history. We've got to respond to it. I came home and told my wife, you know, we've been praying for God to send someone. And I think it's us. So I had that general call of God in my life to Central and Eastern Europe, but then said, God, could you make it more specific and spent some time at a two day time of fasting and prayer. And this hasn't happened many times in my life, but uh, it, it did at that time where in those two days, God just gave me a picture of the, of the future. And so I walked away from those two days with our vision statement, which is still true today. The movement of God among the youth of Central and Eastern Europe finds its home in the local church and transforms society. I wrote that on those two days and then really uh, uh, began to map out. I said, God, how do you want the next 10 years to look? And 
and well, first we need to do this, then this. It was it was almost like a time of taking dictation from the Lord. Very very unusual. And at the end of um, at the end of that time, I I wrote down how many staff are are we going to need to accomplish this? And I wrote down the name two hundred as the number two hundred. Well, this was just when it was just my wife and I. So I, I would say that God gave a a, a vision and a, a, a faith for something that He wanted to do in the future that I didn't exactly know how He was going to do. But uh, so in terms of the broad strokes, I actually expected God to do something to accomplish that. Now, the way he did it was very different. And that 10 year plan took us 12 years to accomplish. But it unfolded pretty much as as uh, the spirit had revealed it to me in time of fasting and prayer. So that, that was a very unusual experience. In this day and age, I always say this in the little that I've known you before that I heard of your reputation. People say you're one of the best individuals to partner with. You're easy to work with. You just have a wonderful heart to make others first. And in some sense, it's always a win-win. In this age of ministry leaders where everyone's talking about how many social media uh, uh, followers you have, what's your platform? All of that, are you speaking at the big conferences? When I look at Dave Patty, I see a guy who's comfortable, not always being the center of attention. Doesn't need to be the CEO where everything filters through him, where it's always about others first and body other all that. Is this due purpose? I mean, in some senses, what makes you tick? What causes you to not only work to build that, but also work? Look at the number of ministries that you partner with and work with. Our friend Sarah Bruel and what you're doing as chairman of the board, you do a very good job of partnering with other people. Why is that? What, what, what did you learn early on? Yeah, I don't. I, I think my, my conviction always is I want to see God's kingdom grow, not my kingdom grow. And sometimes the best way to make God's kingdom grow is, is not to focus on the growth of your kingdom. Uh, I, I really want to get to, I know at some point Josiah Venture is going to disappear, but but uh, but kingdom results are going to last forever. I, I want to get to heaven and and see huge kingdom results. So I, I would say I'm I'm um, I I am I'm very ambitious for God's kingdom. How about if you'd say that? And uh, I, I want to see maximum impact and growth for him. And sometimes the best way to do that is, is for you to be less than someone else to be more or for you to, to be generous. Another thing I believe is a, a verse I memorized when I was in college out of Proverbs says, a generous man will prosper. He who blesses, who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I just always believe that, that uh, if we focus on lifting up and encouraging and, and blessing others, uh, God, God will take care of us in yeah. sometimes really surprising ways. So I remember when one foundation came over here in our early days and, and they said, who should we be working with here? And I gathered a bunch of people from the region and introduced them to a lot of other people. And then at the very end said, well, if you want to help us, here's some ways you can do it. And they were they were surprised that that I was willing to share them with so many others. But I, I just felt rising water lifts all shifts and ships. And if we're doing a good job, God's going to take care of us. But I really wanted the kingdom to prosper. And that really is the way it works. Uh, if, if you're generous with your relationships, with your time, with, um, with your reputation, God just takes care of you. So always better to have him lifting you up, you know, that um, you want, want God's hand under you and not over you. And uh, that's that the other verse is, um, you, you know, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up and do do time. I, I just want to be on the on the top side of God's hand and not under it. And uh, I, I love it when he lifts us up and, and he does when you humble yourself. All right. So, Dave, let me just ask you a quick question, though. 
like for instance, one of the things I said to our staff is you always have to be generous. A lot of times I've seen how God, by being generous to other people, God in some sense has always worked within your life. Probably not in the way you expected, but he's always worked. Now, with that said, one of the things our board chairman has always warned me, he says, Tommy, you run your organization and your partnerships like a Chinese family. You expect that everyone is always watching out for everyone in the body of Christ, everyone's serving. But some people will take advantage of you and use it to their advantage. So be careful. How do you navigate through all that, Dave? This, I'm asking you personally for me. Yeah, well, that's 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 a great question, Tommy. I think one question is is I, I, I we don't partner with just anyone who comes along. So we do have a call on on our lives. And so, like you mentioned, Sarah, Sarah is focusing on the region of the world that we're focusing on. Uh, the target audience that we're focusing on and with the same values. So I'm connecting very closely with her. If there's if there's something that's outside of that zone, I won't give it as much attention because I know God's called us to bring kingdom returns in this this re, this this calling that He has. So it doesn't mean you just do everything that sounds interesting. So I'm always um, I'm always filtering things according to our calling. You know what what's God called us to do and how does this fit? And if there's a way to accomplish that calling through someone else's activity, great. Someone else is just doing something interesting. Well, God bless them, but that's not that's not my call. Right. You know, opportunity is not a call. So that that's one thing. And then then the other thing is that we we try to run um, run our organization very uh, very financially sound and conservative. So we don't we don't risk on uh, things. So I I wouldn't be giving money I didn't have to someone else, or uh, or uh, take taking risks that would uh, that would risk kind of our core. Uh, our core efforts to to help someone else. So I think I think we have to understand what's our primary responsibility. So I do have a responsibility to that which God's entrusted to me, and I have to make sure that that stays healthy. And then and then what's my our primary calling? And that's that kind of serves as as um, as guideposts along along the way. And that then it's just it's it's good to just count on having extra. I don't know if that makes sense. So if, we, if you run everything so tight. But if you count on, hey, there's always going to be a little extra, uh, then it's easier to give away. It's, it's kind of like budgeting giving. You know, you, you set it, you set aside a certain percentage. And then when a need comes along, you've already decided to give. Yeah. So you're just giving it that direction. So would you we, say a lot of times the, uh, the genuineness of the leader, there's something the Holy Spirit works in your heart sometimes where you're sitting there with that person said, yeah, I don't sense a good feeling from the Holy Spirit on this one. You have to tap into the Holy Spirit because sometimes yeah. that will guide you. Even I think whether it's donor conversations or even partnerships as well, too. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you're talking about, Sarah, but one of the things that she, she has said is, is, is I've been working with her is over the years, we've built a, kind of a network of relationships of people who really like each other, believe in each other, very competent and are working towards the same goals. And so it's almost like a ministry mafia. It's it's a group of friends. And what you'll find, and you you're probably are finding this, Tommy, as you poke around, as you were with us in Prague or whatever, you'll notice that we there's a bunch of people who know each other and love each other and like to work together, and they're not necessarily in the same organization. And so what what happens is you develop these really synergistic, rich relationships, and uh, with you know a number, number of people that you know as well that that are quite exciting. And it has to do with um, yeah, it's 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 it, when I say mafia, I mean it's it's a family of people who are called on mission together, and it doesn't mean that that the organizations are hardwired together. Yeah. It means that we're we're in it together. Yeah. Hey, look, my our mutual friend Bob uh, Bob Dole introduced me to Sarah, yeah. and so 
Sarah was just passing through uh, O'Hare Airport, and we met, I think, five years ago, six years ago. She was just beginning, and so we could start talking. And what happened was we developed this wonderful friendship, and I am her, one of her personal supporters, but also just hearing about her life and journeying with her and talking with her, it has really been, it's benefited me a lot because there's a certain enthusiasm that she has, which I find very uh, encouraging a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Wonder, yeah, and wonder. even you and me, I, I think a lot of times the one thing I found about you is Dave Petty, I heard a lot about him, but the genuineness and just the honest, frank conversation I've had. So th Dave, thank you very much for just the time. I, I think a lot of times this is our second time having a face-to-face -face conversation, but thank you for making time today. Oh, I, I really appreciate it. Love what you're doing, Tommy, and, and your whole whole team and uh, your, your heart for God's work around the world is just awesome. So Love that. And, you know, I got a little Asian in me, too, because it's, it's not China, but it was, I was born in the Philippines. So, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a little bit of roots there. <laughs> OK, one last thing for you is when we talk about Czech Republic, is there a meal? Is there a food that you've grown to love in Europe, in the Czech Republic? Yeah, you know, there, there are a number. The Czech's probably not known for its food, but there's a really interesting thing called fried cheese. It's deep fried cheese that um, is, is probably not healthy, but it's so tasty. And so I don't have it often because it's pretty high in cholesterol, but wow, it's, it's, it's interesting. Very, very good. Hey, we're going to talk again soon. So thanks, Dave. You're welcome. Wonderful talking with you.